Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When Joseph refers to Potiphar, he doesn't say, the master, but instead Joseph calls Potiphar, my master. And there's a difference. There's a difference by calling Potiphar, my master. He's declaring his allegiance and his responsibility to be faithful to Potiphar. He feels himself accountable to Potiphar. You know, there's a difference between us calling Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and my Lord Jesus. You know, when we call Jesus, my Lord Jesus is the same as when Joseph called Potiphar my master. We declare our allegiance to be faithful to the Lord. We put front and center that we're going to give an account to the Lord Jesus. So when Joseph says to her, my master, what if not, he doesn't know what's with me in the house, he's feeling really what Potiphar felt when he entrusted Joseph with everything he had. See, it's like Joseph is feeling how Potiphar had made himself vulnerable to Joseph. He feels this. Now, we can imagine how Potiphar looked into Joseph's eyes as he entrusted Joseph with everything and said, Joseph, uh, you haven't been here that long, but I really know you, and I've never done this before with anyone else, but because I know you, I'm entrusting you with everything I have. And then we can imagine Joseph looking back into the eyes of Potiphar and saying, you know, I know what you're doing. I'm very honored. I'm appreciative. And I will not let you down. I will not let you down. So when Joseph says to Potiphar, says about Potiphar that he didn't even know it was in his house, when he says in his house, he's referring to Potiphar's wife because Potiphar's wife was in his house. And after we started to study about Potiphar's wife, you know, it's very interesting. Scott, you don't mind if I tell this story, do you, about what happened to you? Okay, good. All right. So Scott was leaving prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and it was raining, and Scott was parked at the stoplight here when a woman came and knocked on his window and asked for help to get to her hotel, which wasn't very far because it was raining. So Scott you know, took her to the hotel, and all along the way, this woman was like Potiphar's wife. <laughs> she was leaning on Scott with the lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. Day by the day, you know, minute unto minute. And Scott said, I can't do that. And then the woman, her argument was based on no one would know. <laughs> that was her argument. No one would know. And Scott, oh, great Scott. <laughs> Scott said, God would know. <laughs> God would know. And that he was a Christian. So what the woman was saying to Scott is, why not lie with me? And Scott had an answer to the woman's challenge. And Scott's answer was God. 
That's all God. And that's what makes the difference between the world and an obedient believer. The obedient believer has an answer to the question or to the challenge, why not lie with me? And the answer is God. But the world doesn't have God, and so the world has no answer to the challenge, why not lie with me, which is why there's so much, as I mentioned, immorality in the world today. So it's the same answer that Joseph had for Potiphar's wife. Why not? God. That's the answer. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, when Joseph says in verse 8, he hath committed all that he hath to my hand, we can picture, you know, he said that his hand, his, God, his hand, you know. We can picture Joseph looking at his hand, and he's saying, you know, he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. And then we can see him thinking through, you know, shall I with this hand touch his wife? And so Joseph knew what God had told Abimelech about touching his very beautiful great-grandmother, Sarah, in Genesis 20, verse 6. Genesis 20, verse 6, God said unto him in a dream, God said to Abimelech, in a dream, yea, I know, yea, I know that thou, this in the integrity of thine heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her his hand, to touch her. See, that's the reason King Solomon focuses on the hand as the start of all this immorality in Proverbs 6.29, Proverbs 6.29, when it says, he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Very similar to the Lord's words, to look on a woman is to commit adultery, which is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7.1, 1 Corinthians 7.1, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It reminds me of when Cheryl and I, we used to visit our missionary from here, Rusty Young, who was in France for decades, and he started churches in France, and we loved to go there, spend time there, and, and you've gone there too, to his church there. And, and it was so common after the service in France for everyone to greet each other with a kiss. Do you remember that? That was what they did, you know. That's France. A kiss on the cheek. And they would argue from 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, where it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, this really bothered Cheryl. So one time she came out of the church and she goes, hi, Rusty, here's your holy handshake. <laughs> anyway, notice how in the first part of verse 9, Joseph is speaking about himself. He's speaking about himself. He's really focused on himself. There's none greater in this house than I Neither hath he kept anything back from me but thee, because thou art his wife. So he's really saying that, look, I'm in a very powerful position, and, you know, I, I could actually do this, but Joseph is saying that he could sin, but in verse 8, we saw that Joseph refused to sin. So Joseph knew that others in his position would have done it, but not Joseph. And what's important to see in verse 9 is how Joseph is thinking about himself with this I and me. He's thinking about himself personally. So with all this thinking about himself personally, he makes a very important statement again about himself personally when he says in verse 9, how can I do this wickedness and sin against God? He's thinking about himself. How can I? And when Joseph says, how can I? Joseph is saying, 
Others can, but I cannot. He's saying, how can I? He's saying, others would, but I would not. Others accept, but I refuse. So how can I? He's saying that there's something very special about myself. He's saying, I am a child of God. Now, that's the same thing as when Scott told the woman, I am a Christian. See, so Joseph and Scott, you'll have a lot to talk about when you get to heaven. So (laughs) Joseph and Scott said, how can I, as a child of God, do this great wickedness and sin against God? When a child of God looks at sin and looks at himself, he says the words of Joseph, how can I? Because sin is not viewed the same by a child of God as the world views sin. The child of God sees these extra descriptions that Joseph has placed here, and the world doesn't see those. See, notice how in verse 9, Joseph says, let me just put it this way. Notice how in verse 9, Joseph did not say, how can I do this wickedness and sin? He didn't say that. He, he didn't say, you know, how can I do this wickedness and sin? He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See? So as Joseph is a child of God, it was not just a wickedness, it was a great wickedness. And Joseph is a child of God, it was not just a sin, it was a sin against God. And for others, it's just a violation of good ethics, or maybe it's against the law. But for the child of God, it's totally different, as David put it in Psalm 51.4, Psalm 51.4, against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. It's interesting when David says, in thy sight, that's the same as meaning man may not see, you know, but God sees. That's what, you know, Scott was saying. God sees. It was a great wickedness, and it was a sin against God because Joseph was personally a child of God. And what he's emphasizing here when he says, how can I, is how can I do this great wickedness sin against God? For me as a child of God, this is a great wickedness. For me as a child of God, this is a sin against God. And this is what happens to the obedient child of God. Wickedness becomes more and more greater and greater, greater and greater, great wickedness, great wickedness. Sin becomes more and more against God. And the more obedient a child of God is, then more wickedness becomes great wickedness. And the more obedient a child of God is, the more sin becomes a sin against God. The closer a child of God gets to God, the more God works in that child so that he sees the wickedness as great and he sees the sin as against God. And this is like part of what is happening here in Philippians 2.13, Philippians 2.13. It's God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We fill ourselves with the word of God, and then God works in us by writing that word on our hearts. As he said, to Israel in Jeremiah 31, 33, Jeremiah 31, 33, this shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts, and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. So when the word of God makes for us wickedness to become great wickedness and sin to become exceeding sinful, exceeding sinful, then Romans 7.13 is fulfilled. Romans 7.13, sin by the commandment, which is the word of God, sin by the commandment might become exceeding 
sinful. Now, it's interesting to look at Joseph's statement as a whole and ask the question, what word would you choose to describe if Joseph had agreed with Potiphar's wife? So, verse 8, Behold, my master, what if not what is with me in the house? He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater than I in this, in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Now, from what I just read, from what Joseph said, what's the one word that you would put to describe what Potiphar had done with Joseph? Yeah, promoted. Trust. Trust, right? He entrusted him. He's emphasizing trust. He trusts me. He doesn't even know what I have. Okay. Now, if Joseph had agreed with Potiphar's wife and had violated Potiphar's wife, what's the one word that you would use to describe that violation of trust? That's it. Betray. Betray. That's the word. Betray or treachery. Betray. That's what a violation of trust is. It's a betrayal. Did anything ever happen in Joseph's life to make him particularly sensitive to betrayal? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's... (laughs) Yeah, sure. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers when he came to them and he, they sold him as a slave. That's why he's in this position. Joseph was a slave because his brothers betrayed him. And Joseph never forgot that. He never forgot what it felt like to be betrayed. And as a matter of fact, years and years later, after that's all gone and he's been exalted now to the highest position, he still feels the sting of betrayal when he introduces himself to his brothers for the first time in Genesis 45.4, Genesis 45.4, when it says, Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. He didn't have to add that last part on there. (laughs) It was obvious he was in Egypt, right? But he said, whom I'm your brother, you sold into Egypt. All those years, even after Joseph was, uh, was exalted to this high position of being ruler there, he never forgot the pain of what it meant to be betrayed. And so what he's saying in verses 8 and 9 is that he's been entrusted, and now to take Potiphar's wife would be to betray Potiphar, and he knows what it feels like to be betrayed. So when Potiphar's wife says to him, lie with me, Joseph remembers the day when he trusted his brothers, and he remembers the awful feeling of being betrayed by his brothers as they sold him, stripped him, and sold him into slavery. And he says, you know what? I know what betrayal feels like. I hate betrayal. I will not betray Potiphar. It's the betrayal. It's the betrayal of the sin that strikes him and causes him to say no, because he knows personally how that feels. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows personally what it feels like to be betrayed, because he would by Judas Iscariot. In Luke twenty two forty seven, Luke twenty two forty seven says, While he yet spake, behold the multitude, and he that was Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? And the night before he's crucified is described by this words in First Corinthians eleven twenty three. First Corinthians eleven twenty three, I received the Lord that which I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So it's front and center, this feeling of betrayal. So just as Potiphar 
trusted Joseph, so we trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Joseph knew personally what it felt like to be betrayed, the Lord Jesus Christ knows personally what it feels like to be betrayed. And therefore, just as Joseph refused to betray Potiphar, so the Lord Jesus Christ refuses to betray us, as it says in Hebrews 13.5, Hebrews 13.5, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So Samuel tells Israel, Samuel tells Israel in 1 Samuel 12.22, for Samuel 12.22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. So Joseph suffers betrayal, and that ends up teaching Joseph to obey God and not betray Potiphar. And this is what it says about the Lord in Hebrews 5.8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Joseph learned obedience, to not sin the sin of betrayal, by the things which he suffered, the betrayal that he suffered. Isn't it interesting when you look at it this way, how God prepared Joseph for this betrayal trial by making Joseph to be, to have been the object of betrayal earlier. Joseph learned obedience by the betrayal that he suffered. And as we look at this principle of learning obedience by the things which you suffer, it answers the questions to the problem of suffering in our lives. We see suffering, it can be a preparation to meet a future trial, as Peter has put it, 1 Peter 4.1, 1 Peter 4.1, for as much as Christ also has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, we see in verse 10 that none of the life preservers were taken. I mean, you threw them back. There was no intention of repenting on her part. In verse 10, it came to pass that as she spake to Joseph day by day, he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. As a matter of fact, all that happened is that she just intensified her efforts when it says she spake to Joseph day by day. And that's what Scott said. This woman never stopped in her arguing with him. You know, it was a continual grinding on Joseph day by day with an effort to wear him down, as it says in Daniel 7.25, Daniel 7.25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So this continual speaking to Joseph to try and wear him down, it's just going on and on. And, and just think about Joseph having to see her and hear her every day by day by day by day, and she's looking for a moment of weakness, a moment of vulnerability like the devil does with us when it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, 1 Peter 5, 8, that we are to be sober, we are to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, it says walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, walking about. That's what the lions do on the Serengeti. They don't attack the water buffalo, the elephants, whatever. They're, they just walk with them. They're walking about, always there, always watching, always waiting for the weak animal to fall behind or stumble, and then they pounce. He's walking about. That's how in Job 1.7, Job 1.7, the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. 
So Potiphar's wife, she just keeps talking and talking to Joseph day by day and day by day. And what's she saying to him? What is she saying to him? You know, we can imagine that she's saying, oh, Joseph, I think of you always. Oh, Joseph, you are my sunshine. Oh, Joseph, I long to see you. Oh, Joseph, I love you with my heart. I adore you. I crave you. I am mad about you. We can just imagine this. Now, that's a temptation for Joseph. I mean, he's craving for loving recognition. He wants to respond to this feminine love and admiration. But Joseph always kept the feeling of the sting of betrayal before him, and that led him to take his actions, which we see in verse 9. He hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. That's a very interesting word. Hearkened is the word Shema, from the great Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. It means to hear and respond. The, the part that comes after it talks about respond by talking about God all the time, all the day. So he refuses to Shema to her, and he takes further action by keeping herself out of danger when it says that he refused to be with her. He realized that she's not going to respond to repentance, and she's determined to bring me down, so he's just he's more or less cut her off. And there comes a time when lost friends make it very clear they want nothing to do with our Lord Jesus Christ, and their only goal is to bring us down to sin, and that's the time to withdraw. So Joseph shuns her. He avoids being in her presence. And when our minds are thinking about temptation to sin, that's the time for us to displace those thoughts with Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And when the word of Christ dwells in us, then we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in Romans 13, 14, Romans 13, 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The provision for the flesh to fill the lust thereof happens when we leave space in our mind to think about sin. But when we fill our mind with the word of Christ, then we make no provision for the flesh. And when Joseph refused to be with her, he's doing that in Proverbs 5, 8, remove Thy way, far from her, come not nigh the door of her house. You know, the advice is, if the train travels on the railroad tracks, don't play on the railroad tracks. <laughs> That's what he's, he's doing here. And we see how he keeps his, his mind on his business. In verse 11, it came to pass that Joseph went into the house to do his business. Now, normally, it appears from verse 11 that he made sure that men were in the house when he went into the house. Reminds me of Billy Graham, whenever he'd go into a hotel, he would send his men to go into the hotel room first, throw open the shower curtain, make sure there was no women. Now, in this particular time, he slipped up, and there was no men in the house, and so we're going to study about what happened next in our next lesson. And I know you just can't stand it, and you want me to keep going, but it's been a long time. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for Joseph and the example that he is to us. Help us, Lord, to follow you and let you make us fishers of men. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. 
tomcantor.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Come meet Pam Tebow, Tim Tebow's mom, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th at the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference presented by the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Pam Tebow will be speaking on homeschooling her five children, including Tim Tebow and will worship with the musician and singer Michael Sanchez from The Voice. And hear from special speakers Kevin Conover from Educate for Life, Pat Roy, formerly of Jonathan Park, and CEO Tom Cannon, president of the First Creation Museum and Friendship with God Bible radio teacher. Cost for the event is only $15 per day, and enjoy a Chick-fil-A lunch and fellowship with other homeschoolers. So invite your friends and register today for the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference with Pam Tebow at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. 